Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Well, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. For, for those of you who are new, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm excited to bring the Word to you today because I am believing that God has something very special in store for us. There's miracles in God's word. And when we apply God's word, we begin to see miracles in our lives. Uh, I got a question for you, and uh, I, I want you to be honest with me. How many of you maybe had a little bit of a disagreement or fight with family over Thanksgiving? Anybody? Okay, thank you. Come on, just come down. Just come down to the front. No, I'm just kidding. We were not, we're not gonna have you do that. Um, uh, <laughs> you guys thought I was serious. Man, I must do some crazy stuff up here, but that's, anyways, we, uh, you know, sometimes uh, when you're around family, you get into fights. It was funny, I was talking to uh, my dad, and he's like, uh, my dad's a minister, and so he, he said, so uh, what, are you, what are you gonna preach on this Sunday? And I said, well, I'm gonna talk about confrontation. And he's like, oh, you gonna use me as your example? And uh, it's true. In family, oftentimes, we can butt heads. We can actually have moments where there's disagreements or there's fights that we might have, and Jesus knew that that was gonna happen. How many of you, uh, you have siblings, and they thought that it was their, their God-given task to give you a hard time. How many of you have siblings like that? Okay, yeah, there's a couple of us. I, I am one of those poor souls. My, my brother, um, some of you might know him, but my brother, he, um, he is what you might call like an eternal child. Like he's just, he's always a kid. Uh, he's got three kids, one on the way, uh, 41 years old. And yes, he is 41 years old. And, um, and he, uh, he just, he's constantly giving me a hard time. Always, always giving me a hard time. And so there's, as you can imagine, growing up, there was a lot of conflict. Um, my brother made me dog food one time. Uh, he, uh, he actually then, uh, my dad, in order to uh, teach him a lesson, had him eat dog food. And then my brother used my dad's toothbrush to brush his teeth. That's, a, that's another story uh, that just so you can have a little insight into my family. Growing up, we were some strange people, but we, we, we were constantly going at it. And, uh, and so there was, there was all sorts of like uh, headbutting and conflict. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's funny, sometimes it's not, but this is, during this Christmas, uh, my brother, who's always trying to make a joke, he's like, hey, uh, I, I got some Christmas presents for you. So I, I wanna bring out, I wanna show you guys. So this is... Um, Basically, you know, his wife said, hey, what do you want to get your brothers and sisters? And he's like, I don't know, I don't know. And so she's like, you know what? You're not giving me any info. You go to the store and you do it yourself. No one has ever had that conversation with their spouse, right? I have. Um, the, and so I, he went to the store and he's like, you know what? Let me, let me just do something that's fun. And so he went and he said, I'm going to get this for my dad. And so he went to the toy section and he got these little markers, these little uh, dart shooters or whatever. And, um, and so he said, Dad, 
this is for you. And then he got the same one and he gave it to my brother-in-law. And then he said, and David, I wanna give, this is the one that I wanna give to you. He said, there was other ones that were this size that were available, but I, I felt like this one was more appropriate for you. And so I said, okay. And then, and then he says, and here's the one that I got myself. <laughs> so, you know, we, we then began to, uh, uh, then, you know, shots were fired and uh, we, we began, and my brother, he's crazy. Like, I'm like, you know, there's a bunch of little kids. I've got four kids. He's got three kids, one on the way, and my sister has a kid. So there's a bunch of kids, and they're opening presents and all that. I'm like opening presents, and I'm trying to get the kids, you know, settled or whatever. And he's shooting me in the side with this, with these, this little foam darts, you know. And so I'm like, man, this guy, he is, he's something else. You can take that. Thank you, brother. And so, you know, uh, conflict it's not always that funny. You see, my brother, he was always trying to stir something up and he's always trying to get me riled up and it works sometimes and sometimes it didn't. But you know, the reality is, is that all of us deal with conflict at one time or another. And if we're honest, all of us cause conflict at one time or another. I, I know you know what I'm talking about. And Jesus knew what he was talking about as well. And the text here, we have in Matthew 18, Jesus teaches his disciples how they are supposed to confront one another. You know, the goal of this message, by the way, is not to talk about confrontation solely. The goal of this message is to give the heart of Jesus, which is unity in the body. Jesus taught us how to confront each other so that we could be united with each other. You might be saying, well, if, if we're talking about confrontation, then why would that be, why would it be an issue of, of, um, of why is he talking about confrontation if he wants unity? If we confront each other, doesn't that bring more disunity? But the reality is, is that when you confront the way that Jesus lays it out, it results in unity. And we lie to ourselves and we say, well, if I just put this thing under the rug or, you know what, I'm not gonna bring it up or, you know, this didn't really bother me and I'm just gonna, you know what, it's not that big a deal and we push it off. What ends up happening is that our own souls, like Pastor Maria Durso talked about last week, this is really a, a second part of practical application, how to apply what she taught. If you didn't listen to it, go listen to it. But we, we think that we can hold these things inside of us and it won't impact us. But in order for us to be able to see true unity, true blessing from God, we must be willing to confront each other. Amen. I knew it was gonna be a little quiet, so I prepared myself for that. I told myself, you're doing a great job right before I came in, just so that I would feel good about this message. I'm just kidding. I know this is tough, right? And I know that this probably doesn't apply to you guys, but maybe you can share with someone else. That was a joke too, okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is explaining the kingdom to his disciples so that the disciples would know how to operate with each other. 
You know, it encourages me that the disciples, they got into fights even with Jesus present. They were like arguing with each other. Yeah, but you know, you know what Peter did. Jesus, aren't you gonna deal with him? That, that happened. We see it all throughout scripture. And so Jesus is giving very practical application and he's saying, this is the right way to do this. And so in this text, I'm gonna break down, there's two parts to this text. The first part is basically how to confront in a godly way. And then the second part is what results from confrontation. How do we make sense of this? And so as I go into this text, I wanna give you the title to this message because I believe that it's going to bless you. It's this, maintaining the beauty of unity when people act ugly. Maintaining the beauty of unity when people act ugly. I will not call for a response on that. Let's read this text together. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, we want your presence. We want your blessing. We wanna walk in the authority that you have given to us. We wanna walk in the fullness of your calling on our lives. And God, in order to do that, we have to be able to confront and we have to be able to receive. We have to be willing to repent and we have to be willing and humble enough to hear what you're saying to us, even through our brothers and sisters. So God, today, I pray, may your word pierce our hearts, may your word transform us, and may you give us everything that we need in order to live the godly life that you have called us to. We trust you to do it, and we believe that you will. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You know, the Bible is so beautiful. Everything that you read in the Bible brings a power to it. Why? Because these are the words of God. And so it's important when you read the Bible that every word that you read, you don't dismiss any of it because all of it is important. And Jesus gave us a breakdown of how to deal with confrontation. And so I wanna, I wanna just jump right in and I wanna look at this first part of this text. And I wanna give you the overarching understanding of what Jesus was saying. Whenever you read a single text, you have to take all the other scriptures surrounding it in context. 
So when you read one verse, you can't just take it as what they call an orphan text. You have to pull in what the Bible says all around that. And the heart of Jesus is constantly communicating the same thing. He wants people to love each other. His heart is that we would love each other and that we would be united as one. So as we read this, this is the first point. I want you to write this down because this is going to give you, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna break it down for you very simply how to have a healthy confrontation. And it's the first part of it is this. Humble confrontation leads to unity. Humble confrontation leads to unity. You see, in order to effectively confront someone, you have to be humble enough to be wrong. Sometimes when you confront someone, you might feel very wronged, but it doesn't mean that they're wrong. And so even the person that's going to confront has to recognize, you know what, is I'm bringing this, I might be wrong. Have you noticed that it's, um, it's easy? I, I love how, how he says it in this passage. Listen to this. He says, um, if your brother sins against you. This is somebody that Jesus is saying, this is someone that's close. You know, um, I don't know about you, but driving in Chicago is uh, special. <laughs> I, um, I'm not a bad driver, uh, Self-proclaimed, I'm not, um, but I am an aggressive driver. Um, when I'm on the road, I make very decisive decisions, and uh, sometimes I make them a little quicker than other people would like me to. And so, uh, not dangerous, just decisive. And, and so, you know, every once in a while, it doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, I will receive communication from other drivers all sorts of different communication. And although I cannot hear their voice, I am very clear on what they are communicating to me. And so whenever that happens, I, you know, I made a decision a while ago, I'm not gonna get worried or upset about driving because th there's a lot of things in life that we could be worried about. I, I don't think that driving should, you know, raise my, my heartbeat at all. So I think that when I'm driving, I'm, I'm listening to music, I'm just worshiping Jesus and being decisive. So when, when I'm driving and someone, you know, motions to me and they wanna communicate with me, for me, I'll tell you, it, it doesn't bother me. In fact, a lot of times I'm just like, Lord, just bless those people. They just, they're just so upset. I don't... They're so upset for just, that was so minor. I can't believe they're so upset about that, you know? And sometimes I don't even know. I'm like, I, I don't even know. Don't know why you're upset, but you're upset. And for me, it doesn't bother me when I'm insulted by a driver on the street. You know why? I don't know who they are. I don't know you. And all I can tell is that you have anger management problems. That's all. I, I, don't know, I don't know who you are other than that. So I just say, oh, okay, they're, they're having a really bad day, you know. But, but when someone's close to you, it hurts. Because when someone's close to you, you give them access to your heart. 
When someone's close to you, you have given them information that they can betray you with. When someone's close to you, they know how to hurt you, intentionally or unintentionally. Because when someone's close to you, they're really the only ones that have genuine access to offend you and to hurt your heart. The reality is, is that when we hurt each other, it's painful. And sometimes, and I, I, I believe that this is even speaking to maybe someone in the room here, you've not gotten connected in the church. You've held back from doing what God has called you to because someone somewhere else hurts you. And so there's a fence up and you've told yourself, well, I'm not gonna get hurt anymore. And the way that I'm not gonna get hurt is I'm not opening up. The problem is, is that that's not the way Jesus says to do it. Jesus has a way for us to be healed. He has a way for us to be whole. And he says, hey, if you guys wanna walk in freedom, you guys wanna walk in fullness, here's how you do it. And the first thing is he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault just between you and him alone. Just the two of you. I, so th our society is terrible at this. Um, if you... Uh, if you happen to frequent uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, here's, here's what I see happening. So there's uh, people, uh, this is, it makes me laugh because it's, it's funny, but people, they oftentimes they say, you know, uh, well, I, I just wanna uh, vent a little bit. And they then begin to describe a situation without names, but with all sorts of incriminating information about someone else. And they'll do that. And so they'll, they'll vent and they'll say, oh, well, I wasn't talking about you. How do you know that was about you? <laughs> or, or maybe you've seen this one. Someone, someone makes a post and they know it's gonna get people riled up. They know it's gonna offend people. They know it's gonna hurt people. And they post it almost like a challenge to all those other people that don't have self-control to comment on the post. And they say, and then, have you ever seen this? Sometimes people will post like popcorn emojis or like the, the little gifts of like people like eating popcorn. They're like, oh, this is gonna be good. He just said that, oh, you just wait for the comments to come in on this one. They're about to light each other up and you, you kind of like just sit and watch. And, and what does that say? That says that our society is entertained by watching people fight, bicker, and argue. And we, we take enjoyment from this. Brothers and sisters, it should not be. We should be more mature. We should be able to say, you know what? That person posted that. That was really unwise. I'm gonna stay silent and talk to them just between the two of us. Can I tell you, there's, I'm not talking about unsaved people. This is like church folk. You know, this, is, this happens in the body. People, we, we have to receive God's grace and wisdom and act with maturity. We are not like the world. We don't operate like the world. So we don't blast people in public. 
We say, Jesus, this person has wronged me. This person has done something. And so you go to them just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. When it's not two of you, it's gossip. This happens every once in a while. All the pastors have experienced this. This, is, this happens every so often. Um, what goes down is that uh, someone has a challenge or an issue with someone, and so they'll come to one of the pastors and say, Pastor, can I talk to you? Yeah, sure, what's up? Uh, well, do you know so-and-so? I say, yes, I know so-and-so. Why are we talking about so-and-so? And they say, well, you know, uh, so-and-so did this and that, and I just felt like that is not right. And I just felt like I needed to come to you, and you, you know, just so that you know, and I'm saying, stop, time out. I say, have you talked to them? Oh, well, no, no, I, I, I don't know them like that. No, 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 no. If you were offended, then you do know them like that. And if they're family, which we're all family, am I right? If they're family, then you know them well enough to be able to talk to them. So you need to go and you need to have a conversation with them. And then, oftentimes it's kind of like, oh, oh, okay. And sometimes they'll even bring someone with them. They'll say, hey, you know, so-and-so came with me. And I'll say, how come, uh, why is there two people talking to me right now? Oh, I'm just here for moral support. <laughs> I say, no, that's gossip. Because the Bible says, between you and him alone. Why? Because in the body of Christ, we don't shame people. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. We don't have to shame anybody. We need to cover people. And so if someone has sinned, you're not trying to air their dirty laundry or throw them under the bus. You're trying to cover them. You're trying to go to them to say, I want to protect you, my brother, my sister, because I don't want you to fall into the trap of sin. I want you to be free. You see, if the goal is unity, then everybody wins. What I've found is that, and this, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a little free uh, marriage counseling right now, or just group session, okay? So if you're married, one of the things that happens, and I, I bet you that 90% of the arguments that take place in a marriage are because neither person wants to be wrong. Come on, you know it's true. I know it's true, because it's true for me. Whenever I'm in an argument with my wife, I'm like, man, I just want to be right. I know I'm wrong, but I want to be right. And that argument will continue because I will not give up any ground. It's like, nope, if I give up that piece and if I consent to that, do you know, it's just going to be, it's like the slippery slope. If I give up this ground, oh man, it's just gonna take me over. I'm never gonna be able to get my line in. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but when you wanna be right, you always lose. You see, Jesus, the goal of this passage was unity. When you confront someone, you're not looking for vindication, you're looking for reconciliation. You're not trying to be right, trying to hear them. 
So here's how you do it, okay? And I gotta move quick. There's a lot of good stuff. Here's how you do it. Actually, let me give the way not to do it first. Let's say somebody leaves the milk out on the counter, okay? You come to them, you say, you know what? You just don't care that I have cleaned this house and you don't care about how high our grocery bill is getting because you're just leaving the milk on the table and it's gonna sour and I've told you 15 times this week. <laughs> That's not the way to do it. If you do it that way, you're gonna end up in a fight. Those are fighting words, okay? Why? Because I made about seven accusations against their character for leaving the milk on the counter. Here's how you do it. Darling. You gotta make it good. Sweetheart, I just, you know, when you leave the milk on the counter, it makes me feel like you don't care about the work that I've done in the house. Uh-oh. Now they're busted. You didn't even try to fight with them. You see, what that does is you don't make an accusation against their character. You don't tell them why they did it. You don't make a judgment upon them. You assume the best about them, and you take responsibility for your own feelings. You see, because I might be wrong. I, I might miss it. I might bring a situation to someone and they might say, but you know what? And I, this happened to me. I, I've confronted people and I said, you know what, you did this and this, it just made me feel like this, this, and this, and they said, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry that you're upset about this, but really, I think that this is more your issue. It's not necessarily my issue. I didn't, I didn't mean to do any of those things, and that wasn't my heart. I didn't communicate that, and that's why I said this. I think that you're just being extra sensitive, and maybe there's a little bit of insecurity there. You see, we have to be willing to be able to hear that. We have to be willing to be able to receive that. But if both parties have a goal of unity and they have a goal to say we want to end up on the same page, the goal is not to uh, be right. The goal is to be heard. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. If you do everything that you can to understand the other person, you will be the first one to win the argument. I know that you don't win arguments, but you kind of do sometimes, right? So, no, I'm, I'm being serious. The first one to really hear the other person out is the first one to take a step towards reconciliation. You gotta be willing to do it. So, what's the second part? If they don't listen, grab someone else. If they don't listen the first time, then you just say, okay, I gotta, I, maybe, maybe I'm missing it. This is what the Bible says, and it seems like this person is off according to what Scripture says, but I wanna get someone else. Let's bring someone else into the situation, and let's go plead with them 
not beat them up and make accusations. Let's go plead with them. And then you bring it to them and you say, brother, sister, God has so much more in store for you. You don't have to live this way. The way that you're doing this is not right. And you're actually, you're, you're damaging your own soul and you're damaging the body because we're all one. We're a family here. And you plead with them and you say, look, this is what the Bible says. God has better things for you. You know, Lady Justice, I think they have that picture. Look at this. Um, do you have that picture of Lady Justice? Maybe that, there it is. Lady Justice is, is depicted with scales in one hand, a sword in the other, and a blindfold. And the reason that she has scales is because the facts matter. When you confront someone, you're not just talking about feelings. You're not talking about their um, motives. You're talking about what actually happened. And we make judgments based on what the Word of God says and the truth in the Bible. That's the judgments that we make. And so if someone is off, they are off because the Bible says so, not because we don't like it. There's a difference. And so when you confront someone, you need to be able to bring the facts so that it can be rightly discerned what the issue is. How can someone repent for something that they don't have clarity on? You need to have clarity on what's the biblical issue. And then she's wearing a blindfold. And the reason that she's wearing a blindfold is because ju uh, justice is impartial. It doesn't see if you're tight with that person. It doesn't see if like you and them go way back. You know, I've seen this before, that like people know that somebody's wrong, but they, they won't, they'll stand with them because they, they, they go way back, even though they know they're wrong. That's not how it should work in the kingdom. It should be impartial. We should be able to say, no, you know what, Pastor David, you're off on this because the Bible says X, Y, and Z, and I'm sorry, but that's what the Word of God says, and we all answer to the Word of God. You have to be impartial. Shouldn't matter how much money you have or what color your skin is or where you come from. None of that matters. It should all be about what the Bible says. Amen. And then finally, what happens? Finally, bring it to the church. Now listen, I've been a pastor for a long time and I have not seen this happen very often. It rarely happens, but this is a situation where someone says, you know what, I see what the word of God says, I know that that's what you think, but I disagree and I'm not gonna do what that says. And you know what, you're wrong and I'm right. And then they, even though the council of people that have come to them and pleaded with them and, and said, please, will you please heed the word of God, if that person still is obstinate and rebellious, then at that point you say, now we're going to treat this person, how does the text say? Like a Gentile or a tax collector. In other words, if someone is willing, unwilling to repent, you treat them as if they're an unbeliever. Now, you might say, well, that's pretty harsh. At one level, yes, but at another level, remember, sin damages and sin spreads. And so if someone continues in sin and it's not dealt with, look, read the seven letters to the, the churches uh, in Revelation. 
Read those letters. And, and Jesus himself says, look, there was an issue here and you didn't deal with it and you should have dealt with it. There was sin and you didn't confront the sin. We have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters. Listen, I hope if you see me in sin, I hope one of you are gonna confront me. I hope one of you care enough about me that you would talk to me and say, Pastor David, you're off. This is what the Bible says and this is what you're doing. We should all be willing to do that for each other because the goal is not vindication, it's reconciliation. So here's the deal though. We treat them like a tax collector. This book was written by Matthew. What was Matthew before he was saved? Tax collector. I love that. Matthew's like, treat him like one of those tax collectors. <laughs> I think that what Matthew is, is saying is he's like, look, you, you treat him like a tax collector, yes, but we love tax collectors. Our heart is to be united with them according to what, the way that Jesus says so. Not according to the way that they want it, but according to the way that Jesus says so. But our heart is to unite and to love and to show grace and to show mercy. Our heart is to re reconcile. That's the heart of Jesus. That should always be our heart. You cannot use this text and abuse it to say, well, that's why I cut them off. No, we love people no matter what. And we're constantly trying to bring them in to a saving, loving, hopeful and life-filled relationship with Jesus. That's our goal. So, the goal is always unity. The goal is always unity. The second part of this passage, really quickly, and we're, we're about ready if the band can come. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. One one translation says, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In other words, when you align with the word of God and you bring the people of God together and you make a judgment call and you discern what the word of God says about this situation, heaven responds in turn. You see, unity opens the heavens. I love the next part of this passage. It says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them. Anything. Anything that you agree about. Anything that you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. In other words, when you're together, God is with you. When you're in unity, God is with you. This is not just talking, you know, the Bible is really clear. Sometimes this text is used to talk about uh, um, prayer and when, you're, when you have more than one person present, then your prayer uh, works differently. And, and that is theologically true. However, that's not even what this passage is teaching. What this passage is saying is, when you're united in a decision that you make to forgive someone, God forgives them. If you agree about a situation, about a conflict together, God agrees with you. 
There's something so powerful about the authority that God has given to his people. Jesus said to Peter, he says, if you forgive people their sins, then they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, then they're unforgiven. So powerful that Jesus has given us the ability to release forgiveness for other people. I believe that this is how it works. Our hearts, when they look like Jesus, God is pleased and he begins to send grace where we go. Maybe there's people that you know. Maybe there's people in your life and there's been unforgiveness towards them. I wanna tell you something. Sometimes your forgiveness is what sets them free from their bondage. You can, in Jesus' name, release people of sin and bondage by offering them forgiveness and refusing to hold it against them. There's a story in scripture where Stephen, who was preaching the word of God, they brought him before the council and he was the first person to be martyred, which means he was killed for preaching the gospel. And the Bible records that as people were, began to, to stone him, they, they took off their coats. And so as they took off their coats, they laid them at the feet of a man named Saul, who later would become Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. And so all of these people were laying their coats, and, and the Bible says that Saul was looking upon this with approval. He was saying, this is a good thing. And as the stones began to fly, Stephen said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I believe because Stephen was willing to forgive, part of what happened was God looked down at that group and he said, I'm willing to forgive Saul. I wonder, I wonder if the New Testament would look different if Stephen had chosen not to forgive his persecutors. I don't know, but it seems like when Stephen released that forgiveness, Paul, he took it and God chose him and he says, I'm coming after you. And even though you're running and you're, you're, you're persecuting my people, Stephen forgave you, I forgive you. Your forgiveness is powerful. God has given you authority and he's given you responsibility. Listen to this, Matthew 7, one through three says, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? In other words, the judgment that you pronounce upon someone else, that's the judgment that will be pronounced upon you. That's a scary thought. You know, when I think about this text, it puts the fear of God in me. Because when something, someone does something against me, I'm like, oh man, I know I've done that to someone. And even if I haven't, 
I don't, I don't want to hold judgment against them because I don't want to be judged. I want to release forgiveness so that forgiveness flows freely to me. I want to give forgiveness so that when I ask for forgiveness, forgiveness is free. Don't hold up the resources of heaven because unity brings open heavens. Listen. Finally, brothers, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Brothers and sisters, what do we get when we get unity? Do you know what you get? The presence of God. You see, the presence of God, the awareness of the presence of God, it was, it's what gives us faith to believe that the miraculous can happen. When we're united in heart with our brothers and sisters, it gives us the grace to say, you know what, we're willing to ask for anything today. We're willing to ask for things that go beyond our imagination. In the Old Testament, God said, I have to, in the Tower of Babel, he says, I have to disperse people and give them different languages because even though they had a wicked intent, God says, if they're united, nothing will be impossible for them. What about for us? Full of the Holy Spirit, with holy intention, what could we accomplish for the kingdom of God? People, I believe that Chicago is waiting for the church to be united. If we can be united, if we can show the gangs uh, in our city what being united looks like, if we can show our workplace what being united looks like, I believe what's gonna happen is the Holy Spirit is gonna send his anointing and he's gonna say, if you're united, I will spread being united all throughout this city. I will reconcile hearts. I will pour out my forgiveness. I will pour out my grace. I'll show my kindness. Stand to your feet for me, will you? I want to tell you a quick story and then we're going to pray. The worship team can come. So there was a person uh, in the 17, late 1700s. His name was Count Zinzendorf. He was in Germany and he, he founded a Christian community called Hernhut. And in this Christian community, the goal was that they would live uh, together in unity and love one another and live out the Christian values that Jesus gave to us. And, and so what happened was all these people came together and they were all from different places and all had different backgrounds and different thoughts, different philosophies, different politics. And they came together and they started fighting. In fact, it got so bad on the, uh, in, that, in that community that they, it almost broke out into to legitimate war. The, the, the groups were fighting against each other. They started taking sides and they were lit legitimately about to have a, a battle. And so uh, Count Zinzendorf as, as the leader and as the, 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 the pastor in that community, he said, okay, everybody come together. And so they all came into the church and Count Zinzendorf talked about reconciliation. He talked about forgiveness. 
and he preached to them what the Word of God says about how to have healthy confrontation. And he says, guys, this is how it must be done. And from that moment forward, what took place is they all left that place and they began right there at the altar, they just began to apologize to each other. They began to repent. They began to ask for forgiveness. They began to just confess their sins to each other. And there was forgiveness given. And from that moment forward, a shift took place and God poured out revival. In Hernhut, the, the group was called the Moravians. The Moravians started a 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting, and that 24-hour-a-day, seven-days-a-week prayer meeting lasted a hundred years. One of the longest prayer movements that's ever been known. A hundred-year prayer meeting that never stopped from morning to night, night to morning. It never stopped a hundred years. And where did it all begin? Reconciliation, confrontation. If we confront the way that the Holy Spirit directs us to, there's gonna be peace, there's gonna be love, there's gonna be joy. We're gonna experience the anointing of Jesus. Listen, I wanna read this last passage to you. Just close your eyes as you hear this. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Listen, if we unite with each other, if we forgive each other, if we live in harmony and in unity, what the Bible promises is that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will fall upon his people. He said, if two of you gather together, there am I with you. My presence is with the people that are united. If you want to see the miraculous power of God break out in your life, begin to confront and begin to repent. Begin to unite each other because when we do, the presence of God is going to fall on us and the glory of God is going to be seen in His body, which is one unit, which is one person. Just begin to lift up your hands. This is what I want to do. Sometimes it's hard to forgive someone else. Sometimes it's hard to repent. But can we just remember the things that God has forgiven us for? Can you just take a minute and just say, God, thank you that I'm not where I was. God, thank you. Think about where you were when Jesus poured out his grace on you. Think about where you were when God redeemed your life. Think about what was going on for you and how much Jesus has done for you, how much Jesus has forgiven you for. Every single day, the Bible says His mercies are new. Every morning and for every morning, we have received mercy from heaven. So how can we withhold mercy from our brothers and our sisters? So Jesus, right now, I pray, oh God, Lord, give us your grace and your mercy. And God, I pray, oh Lord, if there's someone here that needs to repent, if there's someone here that needs your forgiveness, if there's someone here that needs to have a confrontation, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would do it, that you would show your grace and your kindness, that you would help us, oh God, to receive your mercy and Lord, to give your mercy. 
So God, I pray for marriages that are in this place. I pray for marriages where there's, there's been fights that have been brewing. People have tried to sweep things under the rug. I pray, oh God, for ministries, oh God, where there's people that are arguing or fighting. In the name of Jesus, bring reconciliation today. May it happen today. May we not put it off any longer, oh God, but may we walk in purity. May we have the difficult, even the awkward conversations so that we can be united.